One day Jesus and his disciples were at a place and Jesus walked off to the side one day and he prayed. And because of how he prayed, it caused the disciples to ask him a question. And we'll put that question up here. It's from Luke. Right? So he goes off, he does his thing, he comes back to the disciples. And, and one of the disciples, on behalf of all of the whole group, says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. In other words, what the disciple was saying was, hey, um, we watched what you just did, and, and we heard what you just did, and I'm not sure we know how to pray. Could you, could you teach us how to do that? Okay, so it had that dimension to it. It had that quality to it. Um, and so we're going to wade into today on the topic of prayer, but I guarantee it's probably a way that you've not ever heard before, even though we're going to be in the most famous prayer of all the prayers ever recorded in Scripture. Okay? So, I'm taking quite a bit of content today, and I'm stealing shamelessly from a sermon I heard a couple of years ago that Andy Stanley gave. So, preachers, pray, uh, preachers steal all the time. I'm just different in that I footnote. <laughs> so, you'll hear, if you follow him on iTunes, you'll hear some chunks today, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, so that's where that came from. But I want to propose to you something he proposed to his congregation a couple of years ago, and that is this. For some of you here, for some of you here, it may be possible that when it comes to prayer, you don't know what you're doing. What? I know, you're thinking, right, you're, how can you talk to me that way? It's Memorial Day. I even came to church. It's Memorial Day. I shouldn't even be here. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go on a barbecue. And you're telling me I don't even know how to pray. yes. Yes, but it's only because I love you and I want what's best for you, all right? And so, for, because here's the thing. Have you ever thought to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm praying, I'm saying these words, but it's like it's bouncing off the ceiling? Or have you ever prayed for something and wanted something really bad and it just didn't happen? You didn't get the job, the person wasn't healed and whatever it was, and you just kind of, you find yourself saying, despite the big-haired people from Texas, I'm pretty sure this prayer stuff doesn't work. So if you've had those kind of thoughts, I want you to come with me while we look at a particular passage. I know full well what it is to be in the position of the disciples. And I've been in settings where I've thought to myself, I do not have a clue what I am doing when it comes to prayer. I was raised in the Baptist church in the 1970s, and if you prayed in public in the Baptist church in the 1970s, you prayed in King James English. Oh God, our Father, we thank Thee for Thy blessings. Okay? I even did the deep Baptist voice. Aren't you impressed? Okay? So, and, and so I went to college thinking, you know, that's kind of how you prayed. I didn't do it really well because I wasn't really good with Shakespearean English, but so I went off to college with that kind of mindset. And the funny thing is, I got to college, and I find all this time, Grandpa Vanderpool, when it came to meals, you know, we thank thee for thy bounty. And I was always like, why are you so grateful for paper towels? And then, <laughs> then I got to college, and I was like, oh, oh, see? And so, but I got, I got to college, and my sophomore year, uh, I got a roommate. And he's a Facebook friend of mine, so I'm not going to tell you his real name, because I know you're going to be stalking and trying to figure out which one he is, right, on my Facebook page. Okay, so... Uh, 
when he was at Wheaton, he looked like a young Fidel Castro. He did. He wore this olive drab pants and kind of a military shirt, and he had curly black hair and a beard. And he was known for being very spiritual. When I was his roommate, he was so famous on Wheaton's campus that I would run into people and they would go, hey, you're, you're young Fidel's roommate, so what's that like? Let me tell you what it was like. So we move in the first day, so we're moving in, and, and we get this corner room at Wheaton's oldest dormitory. So it's really cool, wood floors, big closets, circle windows, the whole nine yards, and there's two closets, simple, right? Two roommates, I get one closet, he gets the other. No. He says to me, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to put anything in that closet, and I, I don't need a closet anyway. What do you mean we're not going to put anything in that closet? No, no, we don't. Trust me, we're, it's, it's good. Okay, so go to sleep that night. The next morning at 4.45 a.m., I hear him get out of bed, open the closet door, shut the door, and this is what I hear next. Oh, God! And I'm thinking, what in the world? And then he starts going on, oh, God, this, oh, God, that. And he starts listing his sins. And I'm thinking... Okay, do you not know that I can hear you? Is this, you know, <laughs> there's a crack this big under the door, you know. Do you have to pray out loud? But as he prayed and prayed, I, as I'm lying there in bed, I had this realization of this guy's desperate for God in a way that I'm not sure I know. Maybe I don't know how to pray. I had the same experience that same year I... Uh, I got invited by Kitty Mazingo. Kitty Mazingo was this little stick girl who played oboe in the band. And her middle name could have been Joy, because everywhere she went, she made everybody happy. So everybody loved Kitty. Unbeknownst to me, the woman was a prayer warrior goddess, whatever that is, okay? So she invites me to this, hey, we're doing this thing, and we're going to be praying for revival on campus. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, because I was kind of interested in Kitty. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, it won't hurt me to go pray for, you know, and I'll get to hang out with Kitty, right? Woo! I show up, and see, I'd, I grew up Baptist. I'd never experienced full-blown vineyard pray-for-revival kind of prayer. And I go into this room, and they're seeking God on behalf. God, send your spirit to Wheaton. Fill the students. Start with us. They start praying their sin, confessing their sins, and they're praying. And before I know it, 20, 30 minutes into it, they're all prostrate on the floor with their nose, you know, right on the floor, just like that, praying. Now, even though you may be uncomfortable doing that, if you're the only one sitting in a chair, do you know what you do? You get off your butt and you put your face on the floor, <laughs> prostrate. Again, I had another encounter of they are praying in such a way that I Whoa. Same thing happened again in my 30s. I was charged with the task of mentoring the Hispanic pastor that operated out of our church. And he would go around Lexington. Uh, I can't remember which night this was. I think it was a Thursday night. He'd go around Lexington. It took him two hours just to collect all the guys with the vans that he was running. So he'd bring in all these guys for this prayer time. And it was in Spanish, and I didn't understand anything that they were praying, but it went on and on 
and on two hours and it's going on and on and they are just desperately seeking God for the city of Lexington. And again, I had the conclusion, I was like, he has this room full of guys praying for the city and I can't even get people to commit once every six weeks in the nursery. What, what is going on? Okay, so maybe you've been in settings like I have where you've been confronted with somebody who's talking to God, praying with God, connecting with God in such a way that you, just like the disciples go, you know, I know I've been doing prayer, but I don't think I've been doing prayer the way I see prayer happening right in front of my eyes. And that's exactly what happened with the disciples. So today, I kind of want to teach you something important about prayer. Because chances are, a lot of your prayers, if it's like a lot of Americans, like some of mine have been in the past, right? Hey, God, it's Max. Hey, could you help me get an A today? I remember in high school, um, my, my freshman year of high school, was, oh, God, I really need a girlfriend. God, could you please give me a girlfriend? I need one. Do you not understand this? You know, Or maybe your prayer, God, please help us to sell our house at above the appraised value. Or God, please help us to buy this house at $50,000 less than what they're asking. Or God, I need this job. Or, you know, you kind of prayed those kind of things. Or God, please change my wife, change my husband. Please, you know, they need a touch, a hit, a, a kick. Please, God, anytime. Now, come Holy Spirit, sick them. Okay, so if you pray those things, so we're going to wade into this. Say, if you brought a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is a section where Jesus teaches us how to pray. Matthew chapter 6. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's a famous thing, okay? But we're going to start in verse 5, all right? So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and we're going to look at the first two verses first, 5 and 6. Jesus said this, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the, what's the word there? Reward. That is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will what? Reward you. Now, in 2013 America, we just don't have the problem they did in the first century. Apparently in the first century, there was a group of guys that really felt that when they had their big, long tass, prayer tassels and their shawls and the whole nine yards, that they would go out in public, ah, malaka, 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 you know, however they would pray, in such a way that people looking at them would be like, whoa, that guy's holy. Man, he's, woo, walks with God. I think it's still true that if you've been in, ever in a small group or whatnot, when you've been praying and there's other people around, isn't there a part of you that kind of wrestles with not just talking to God, but what they're thinking about you as you're praying? And so Jesus knows this. And so for the guys that are doing these prayers, and the whole reason they're doing it is so that other people will think well of them. He's saying, okay, they've already got it. They've got their reward. Their reward is the fact that somebody went, ooh, and that's it. They're done. Nothing more for them. All right? So... He says, go off in private. Now, the, the thing about the first century is you lived in close quarters. There, it wasn't like you had your own bedroom or a six-bedroom home or a seven-bedroom home. I mean, it just didn't have those kind of things. And so he's saying that when you approach God 
approach God secretly, privately, so that you're not having to worry about what other people are thinking of you. You can be honest. You can be open. You can be you in how you're approaching God. And when you do that in secret, your Father will reward you. All right? And then he goes on. That's verses 7 and 8. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Okay? And, and this kind of harkens back to 1 Kings 18, where there's this Baal thing on the mountain, and they're doing the whole, oh, la, 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 and then they're flailing themselves and cutting themselves, and then they're getting entrails of animals, and then they're doing other stuff, all because they think that that's going to somehow get God to do what they want God to do. And they're convinced of it. And it kind of doesn't happen on the mountain. And it kind of doesn't happen on the whole with God, because prayer isn't a mechanism to get God to do what you want, is it? No, it's not. Jesus would say to people who think that way, no, that's not how prayer works. Okay? So, if you think about it this way, if prayer was simply a mechanism to get God to do what you want Him to do, provide what you think ought to be provided, wouldn't God's bigness shrink now, you teenagers will not like this, but sometimes you don't know what you really need or what's best for you, do you? Like, again, ninth grade, I thought I really needed a girlfriend. Hindsight being 2020, whoo, I'm so glad. I could not have handled a woman back then. Are you kidding me? Let alone a teenage woman. No, why? I would have been eaten alive, dead. I would not be standing in front of you today, okay? But we, God, I need this house job, I you know, and so it's so clear to us what we need in our life, and yet how many times have we been off about what is best for us? Okay, and so if God simply bent to everything we prayed for and wanted, it would be kind of like a candy machine God, right? Just handing stuff out left and right, and that's, that's a small God. And besides that, if God interacted that way with you and me all the time and gave us everything we wanted every time we asked it, what kind of people would we become? You know what happens when you give a kid everything they want all the time, right? Not good stuff. You know those horse slasher kid films? That's where they come from. Okay, so, <laughs> so Jesus says, don't pray like that. Pray like this. All right, that's verse 9. Pray like this. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. So you got two key things there. Our Father. Father denotes a type of relationship, right? And he's not just any kind of father. If you want to know the kind of father that God is, read Luke 15. Luke 15 is in the Bible to tell you and me what kind of dad that God is. God's not like, a, he's not a bigger version of your dad. He's a good dad. He's a dad who loves you. He's a dad who accepts you. He's a dad who has your best interests at heart. And he's a dad who's not necessarily going to give you everything you want because he has your best interest at heart. He's a good dad. The second thing is this whole hallowed part. Big, separate, holy. I wonder, I've wondered a lot lately, I have a catchphrase when I open up my conversation with God. I say, hey God, 
And I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Who am I talking to? I mean, this being that was so powerful that his spoken word made the universe into existence, God? You know, it's not necessarily Wizard of Oz, but shouldn't there be some part of me that there's this recognizing who he is as I'm talking to him? Okay, so our Father, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. All right, so be thinking about who God is as you're talking to him. And then verse 10, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom. See, if there's seven declarations in the Lord's Prayer, the first three are your name holy, your kingdom come, your will be done. It starts with God, and then it moves on to us. Give me, give us our daily bread. Help us, forgive us, lead us not into temptation. There's an orientation going on here, um, and it's very countercultural. And for some of you today, I want to suggest that if the only thing you hear is this, that this is good, that a place, to, a place to start with God, an approach to God is starting with what God wants and God's agenda, not what you want and your agenda. It's countercultural, trust me, because you know what the best-selling book on prayer has been? The prayer of Jabez. God, what's that prayer? God, enlarge my territory. God, bless me. God, don't let anything bad happen to me. That is such an awesome prayer, isn't it? You can fill stadiums full of people that are going to go, woo, with that kind of prayer. But if you look at the life of Jesus, do you ever catch him praying a prayer of Jabez? He prays all night to choose his disciples. And then we catch him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what's he praying? And it's a long time praying. And it's so much, it's, he's sweating in a way that's like scary sweat. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. That's what Jesus prayed. And so I think there's this aspect that caught the disciples. Because here was a man that when he went off to pray was committed to the Father's agenda and what the Father wanted more than what necessarily he needed or he wanted to see, etc., etc. All right? So, so what do you ask for? Well, that's the next several verses, all right? So may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. Provision, right? And it's not just hey, God, I need a million dollars over the next six years and I need to have my four coin. No, it's give me what I need today. It's provision today, all right? Forgive us our sins. And here's the kicker, as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Forgiven people forgive. And that's part of Jesus' kingdom mindset. And so when you and I are approaching God, when we're hacked off at Larry over here, that's a blocker stopper-upper of the prayer dynamic, right? Give us the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those against us, verse 12, and then verse 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. In other words, when you're approaching God, you're not approaching God with the mindset of, okay, um, yeah, you know, hey, man, I'm, 
I'm really sorry for kind of going off at my wife like that, and, and uh, yeah, I'm sure I did some other things too, so could you forgive me for that? And I, you know, I know I'm probably going to mess up some more. And What if we should be approaching God with a commitment that, to the best of our ability, we're not going to sin? And I, and I know the Calvinists among us are like, well, it's not possible, well, hang with me, but do you think that approaching God with a mindset of, well, I'm just going to mess up, I'm going to sin, it's going to happen, and you're kind of anticipating and expecting it, and maybe even planning on it, and thank goodness the forgiveness covers all things. Is that really a way to approach the man who died for you? I don't know. Right? So, um, so you have this prayer, and it's you, 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 and then we, 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 we. And so I would encourage you to maybe modify the way that you're talking to God and approaching God. And I wonder if prayer is more of an approach, an attitude, a perspective, as it is a set of words. Because for those of you that grew up Catholic, right, the Lord's Prayer was something that when you messed up in, in Catholic school, you had to, you know, it was like me writing on the... I will not talk out loud in class. I will, you know, our Father, our heaven, hallowed be. You know, it was, it was a punishment, right? And again, it, it's not the words per se, but this is Jesus' answer to guys that wanted to pray the way he was praying. And he's saying, model, there's something about the way that you should approach God where his kingdom, his agenda is first and foremost. All right? So I've got some things that I'm going to send home with you that are on the back table. All right? And I'm stealing this shamelessly. All right? But so, so here's the so what part of today. All right? So what? So when you're praying, when you're praying, if you follow along this thing, one, declare God's greatness. That's the first part. Your name be holy. Right? How would be your name? Declare God's greatness. Secondly, surrender your will. I got confronted recently. Somebody asked me the question. They said, Max, would you be okay if generations never got beyond 200 people? Would you be okay with that? And I, without even thinking about it, I was like, no, I would not be okay with that. And then immediately I was convicted after that. I was like, ooh. Well, that's what I want. What does God want? Ooh. Ouch. Oh, hate that. Right? So declare God's greatness, surrender your will, then acknowledge your dependence. Provision, pardon, protection. So you should come after God. And and I've got there's a little say DSA. DSA, declare God's greatness, surrender your will, acknowledge your dependence, DSA. Don't start off asking. You're like, "What? Shouldn't I be able to ask God?" Well, yes, but here we are in America, think about this for a minute. Here we are in America. The, the cover of Newsweek magazine, this last issue was the me, 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 me generation. So it wasn't just one me, it was four me's. I thought that was kind of cute, right? So of all people in American history, we are very keenly aware of what we need and want or what we think we need and want, right? And, and we're, trying, we're going about relationships, trying to get our needs met, and we're trying to go do the things in life that we want to do. And, 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 and what if our approaching of God has been primarily about our kingdoms, 
our marriage, our finances, our job world, our life at school. And what if, because that's been our primary thing, the kingdom results that we see around us are kind of linked to that perspective and approach that we have to God? I can tell you that in China, they don't find it hard to pray. And God's doing some really huge things in that country. And there are other parts of the world that it's the same thing. And I think, I think it's that these people, when they're approaching God, it's about God's kingdom and what God wants more than, more than what they want. And I, again, this is hard and I recognize it, but, but what if it's the case that when you're approaching God with this marriage thing, that God's answer or God's response is, I know they're kind of a jerkwad and all of that stuff, but I want you to stay married and I want you to love them because of what I'm doing in you and this character formation that I'm doing in you. Or what if it's the case that you've got a son or a daughter that's, you know, not doing what they should and you're like, ah, you know, turn left, turn left, turn left. And, and, and what if there's a God component and God's answer is, you know, I want them to wander a little bit more because I want them to be, get to this point where they're desperate for me. And it's not just this thing that they do, but it's their hearts. I mean, so again, I think there have been times in American history, I know there have been times in American history when the church, our approach to God was what God wanted and what God wanted to accomplish, and it was his kingdom. And it's a weird thing, revival happened. And I know this firsthand from my own college. Um, you know, Kitty, the, the girl that I mentioned, there were a number of different groups that did that at Wheaton College, and they did it all throughout the 1980s. And then in 1995, boom, God showed up on campus. And it was an amazingly beautiful thing. And it changed a lot of people for the better. But it came on the heels of a campus community that was like, okay, you, your kingdom, your will, not our kingdom, our will, you. And that was how they approached God. I would want that to be the case for us as Generations Community Church. So maybe, maybe, maybe there is a right way and a wrong way after all to approach God. Maybe, right?